Welcome to the Exponential Growth Podcast, where we demystify what it takes to break into tech. My goal is to highlight real-life examples of people with non-traditional backgrounds moving into careers they love, so you can too. Hey everyone, today I'm joined by Lashana Nichols, an engineering manager at the Scratch Foundation and a community leader. Lashana comes from a non-traditional background in business administration, and we're going to dive in and explore her transition into tech. Lashana, welcome to the show. Hey James, how's it going? Good. I'm so glad you joined me today. And I was thinking maybe we could start by briefly touching on what you do today before we dive in and deconstruct your journey. So tell me, what exactly is an engineering manager? Yeah, so I am an engineering manager at uh, Scratch Foundation. We're a nonprofit startup. Uh, we operate like a software company or a software startup, but we're technically a nonprofit. And I'm an engineering manager there. I'm actually the head of our infrastructure and backend engineering uh, group, which is a division, basically a group within our engineering division. And okay. I, yeah, so as far as what engineering management, what I do as an engineering manager, I am over several groups. I'm over our site reliability engineering group. Okay. I'm over our quality assurance group. I'm over backend engineering uh, development group or IT support. So basically everything backend and infrastructure facing, okay. I manage that area. Right. So, so you're yeah. like the ringleader for multiple facets. That sounds very interesting. Yeah. Was that something that you always envisioned yourself becoming way back when, going back to your childhood or did it kind of evolve? Well, I always wanted to be in management. In the beginning, I wasn't sure what type of management. I think as I got through the first year of my bachelor program, I started realizing like tech is where I know I needed to be at. And so early on in my uh, undergrad studies, I realized that I did want to get into tech management. And that was kind of my focus area going forward. Okay. And going back to your childhood a bit, were you able to explore different interests growing up? What did you do for fun? Play any sports or activities? You know, I was a creative growing up. I, okay. I wasn't really in sports, to be honest with you. Like uh, other siblings of mine played baseball and football and basketball. I okay. wasn't really an athletic sort of a person. I was a creative. Like I okay. was reading a ton of books and writing a lot, doing a lot of writing. Like yeah. I literally wrote my own, my own book at 14 years old. Wow. And I got very familiar with drawing. So I okay. was, yeah, I was a creative early, early on. Nice. Very <laughs> cool. So then yeah. going through school, through high school, and then moving on to college, did you make an intentional decision to go study? It looks like initially business administration at the Dallas Baptist University. Did you have a plan there? I wanted to study business because I felt that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. That was what fascinated me is like having my own and, you know, growing the, this organization, whatever that was. Um, so I've always wanted to have some association with business. So starting early, you know, I knew that management was where I wanted to be at, but I felt that it was important to understand business first. Sure. And so even, even going into technology, understanding how businesses work really had helped me out like sure. along my career eventually. So yeah, yeah. that was kind of okay. where I started out. So you're studying that. And then at what point did you kind of shift over maybe more explicitly into the tech realm from mm -hmm. business? Was that a natural progression? Yeah. So I, as I mentioned, I was, you know, growing up, I was a creative. So I was doing a lot of drawing and I started getting familiar with Photoshop. And while I was in my undergraduate studies for business uh, administration, I eventually got a, a bachelor's in business administration, a minor in IT. I started designing my own websites. Um, this is like the days of like 
MySpace and learning okay. HTML and yeah, I kind of took my interest in um, design and I kind of re-envisioned or re-imagined it in a tech space on the web. And next thing I know, I was designing graphics for websites, turning my MySpace page into this big website and and the rest was history from there. So it kind of spawned from there, but I I started learning. I started self-learning in my bachelor's program. Okay. I was enjoying the curriculum and the work that I was doing in uh, the business, learning, learning business, but I was too curious and I wanted to know how the internet worked. And I started diving in deep, literally on the side yeah. of going to school for business. Yeah. I started self-teaching myself web design and web development. Amazing and uh, good foresight because yeah, technology, technology is doing okay today. So that was good foresight on your part. Yep. Good decision. Yeah. So you're working through that and I see you eventually, I think you got a master's of science in IT. And I guess even before we go there, Lashana, a lot of people I talk to when they first are introduced to programming, they feel mm-hmm. like they can't learn it for whatever reason. I'm curious if you ever went through that. Did you ever, even at that stage, feel some type of imposter syndrome or did you struggle with learning how to code? Well, did I struggle? I mean, I think I was so interested in it. I didn't look at it as a challenge. I, I was very, very interested and I wanted to learn it yeah. once I once I got familiar with okay, you need to, you need to know, you know, you need to know HTML and, you know, JavaScript was just coming on the market. And, you know, I was getting familiar with Visual Basic. And so I think I wasn't fearful and I didn't see it as a huge challenge. I just knew that it was new information that I didn't know. And I was so curious on knowing about it. And so to me, it was fun. It was, it was like a breath of fresh air, like learning a new language. Yeah, literally. Yeah, that's how I felt. And and that that was really what persuaded me to keep going was it started becoming more apparent and more clear as I started digging in deeper and learning how, you know, the syntax and yeah, and just, yeah understanding how, you know, algorithms work and how they make our um, applications run and yeah. all that good stuff. It just it was my interest. And I was so taken by how powerful it was. It was like, I have to keep going with this. Yeah. I have to keep going. Yeah, no, that's amazing. You so you were so passionate about what you were learning. You didn't even have time to worry that you couldn't do it because you just you knew that you were going to figure it out. That's no, that's amazing. That's a that's how it should be. I think with us when we truly find our calling. So that I'm so glad that you found that early because I know I struggled with finding mine. It took me thirty plus years, but I, I feel like I've done it now. So yeah, like if you look back at your childhood and you start thinking about like how logical you thought you know what i mean or like for me when i was 12 13 years old i like i mentioned i was a creative i was drawing a lot i had i had paint and i had oil pastels and these big drawing pads and i remember drawing on these pads like a uh, a touchpad mm-hmm. you know like literally just drawing it with big buttons and yeah. the screen that i was drawing them and yeah. i didn't realize what i was doing and then now, like, I literally build applications that do that, you know, yeah. but looking back, it's like, okay, I kind of had it in me back then. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was until I got a little bit of experience under my belt um, with education and understanding the field in general. Okay. When I really figured it out and I was like, yes, this is it. Yeah. No, that's beautiful. So tell me the master's in IT. Did you pick that 
knowing that you wanted to code, maybe not knowing that you wanted to code? What was the decision there, perhaps, as opposed to, say, a master's in computer science? Yeah, a great question. I mean, during the middle of my um, my bachelor's program, I hadn't really grown up. I hadn't really learned about computer science as a program that you should take in college. Like I, sure. I you know, I grew up in a underprivileged and underserved area, so like computer science wasn't a conversation in our high school, at least not in mine. Yeah, and you know, uh, I didn't have the ability to like do college tours and stuff like that. When I when I started digging into colleges, it was literally like my last year in high school. Mm. And then I started working with my counselor to apply for different colleges. But I feel like I was a late bloomer on even understanding what computer science and a computer science major was, okay. which was one of the reasons why I was a little scared to approach that major in okay. my undergrad studies. I, towards the middle of my my bachelor's program, I realized I'm like, okay, I need to take this seriously like i need yeah. to i need to get into technology and i need to make it in my concentration yeah. and i could have switched to computer science but then i looked at all those math classes that came along with the curriculum i was like absolutely yeah. not yeah absolutely yeah. not so yeah i don't blame you i was able to kind of sort of correct what i didn't get a chance to do in my undergraduate studies by pursuing a master's degree in it management because i knew i wanted to be a manager sure and I knew I had, you know, I had a degree in business and yeah. I felt like I had, I got through that stage of life and it's like, okay, now you need to, now you need to start prepping for where you're going to be at later on yeah. in life. And yeah. so, yeah. Oh, I like that. And I, that's why I love sharing stories like yours, Lashana, because mm -hmm. I feel like maybe the, the Lashana back in middle school or high school, maybe listening and hearing you and hearing your story, he or she will know mm -hmm. that, hey, okay, this does exist. This is the path that Lashana took. Maybe I can do that too. And it's yeah. not that you didn't make the right choice because you did the best that you could, just like I made the best choice that I could, not having a blueprint also. But I think it's awesome that we have this opportunity to try to pay it forward and to let people know that there are paths into this industry and into tech, coding or otherwise. So, okay, so you get your master's there. now. I know when I was in college, it was not an intentional decision at all. And in hindsight, I'm pretty sure you're supposed to start looking into internships in your last year or so, if not before. Did you do that? Did you know to do that? How did that transition go from graduation into the workforce? Yeah, I mean, I had heard about internships. I didn't really need it um, because, like I said, I was self-teaching myself during my uh, undergrad studies. So I, I got very lucky. By the time I was ready to emerge into a uh, web design position, I had like two years of technical support under my belt uh, going into tech support entry level. So I had some tech. I had a ton of items in my portfolio. Like I had, mm. by the time I got into my graduate studies, I probably had like 30 websites online. Nice. So it was very easy for me, even though I didn't have any, a lot of professional experience as a developer, yeah. I had a ton of proof that yeah. I was one. And yeah. so I used my portfolio to land my first software job. And yeah, and the rest was history after that. Good for you. Oh, that's amazing. And yeah. we love talking about interviews on this show. I don't know how fresh they are in your mind. And regardless, mm -hmm. I think you might be able to offer a unique perspective, maybe from the interviewer side of the equation. But either way, do you remember that first tech interview that you had? Yes. How did that go? Wait, we want details. It, oh my goodness. I remember the first tech interview. 
the software company that I ended up at was from a consultant co- consulting company. So basically, I signed up for an agency. Okay. I used my portfolio. I had a, a resume, very little experience, and I was able to get in based off of what they saw my work. Mm-hmm. But the first interview was it didn't have any code challenges or anything, thankfully. But it was a lot. It was a panel, and it was with like the vice president. And it was a couple of developers who were okay. looking at me like she has no idea what she's doing. Like mm. I was able to, you know, pull up the screen and show them my work and they were very impressed. So nice. you turned it around. Yeah. It was a, you know, imposter syndrome, like out the roof. I was yeah. totally, I was like, I'm not qualified for this. Yeah. I don't belong in the room with all these smart people. Yeah. You know, I don't have a computer science degree yeah. and I don't know how I ended up here, but yeah, I ended up at the organization as a consultant for a year, and then they eventually right. brought me on full time. So, yeah. No, thank you, thank you so much for bringing that up because I, I know I still struggle with imposter syndrome. Perhaps you do as well, yes. and I think all of the listeners will. And I think the biggest takeaway there is to acknowledge that it exists, and you can be respectful of it and mindful of it, but take it on and work through that. Because just as you heard in Lashana's story, she worked through that and she leveraged her strengths, her portfolio, and she had built up in the past. So leverage what you have and it's going to be uncomfortable at time. But I like to say that feeling of discomfort is the perfect area for growth, I feel anyway. So, okay, you get that first position and I see you've got an amazing list of jobs here looking at your LinkedIn profile. I'd love to, I guess, hear your version of how your career kind of progressed from that first job. I mean, I my LinkedIn doesn't even have all the jobs. I've had a ton of jobs. I've, I was a consultant for a lot of years. Yeah. Okay. And so as a consultant for a lot of years, and I was also a freelance um, developer for many, many years. I've okay. worked on a lot of projects over the span of my 15-year career. So I, I really do need to get on LinkedIn and clean it up a little bit and actually really put the highlights of my career in there. I just yeah. don't have time. Yeah, I like it. It's a surprise. Yeah, but I, you know, uh, I think working consultant work over the years has really um, provided me a lot of experience in areas that I probably would have never touched if I was doing it just out of school. Sure. And it gave me an opportunity to see different fields and uh, mm-hmm. certain areas of concentration in tech. I've literally, I've been in oil and gas. You know, I worked as a consultant and then a full-time employee in gas and utilities company as a developer, iOS okay. developer. I worked at Intel as a data data technician for a little bit. Okay. Um, I worked at Apple. Yeah. And so I've worked all over the place, all over the spectrum. I just, me personally, I've never been persuaded by like this Mang or Fang thing, mm-hmm. this big, yeah, the big corporate ladder jobs. I think I had an interest at one point in my early, early in my career to work at somewhere like Google yeah. or Microsoft, but um, I found smaller companies to be a lot more rewarding and yeah. which is one of the reasons why I spend a lot of time as a consultant. Yeah. Getting experience in different areas. So, yeah. Yeah. The fame companies definitely, I guess they're glamorized by, you know, YouTube videos and everything that you see even on LinkedIn. And I guess I, I landed at a, a comparable version of that at LinkedIn, which falls under the Microsoft umbrella. And mm-hmm. I think I got very lucky with the culture that I backed into, but I, I also acknowledge, you know, there, to your point, there are so many smaller companies that need developers and yep. it's okay to dream, but yep. don't let that dream stop you from, I don't want to say 
having a starting point, but I guess that's what it is. Just getting your foot in the door, establishing yourself, and then your opportunities will open wide up. Starting small is fine. You know yeah. what I mean? Starting small is fine. And right now with the conversation that's being had about tech layoffs and, you know, these larger companies that have, you know, two or 300 uh, developers and they're making cuts, well, they're making the news because they are the breadwinners in the yeah. industry. But then you have smaller organizations like some of the ones I've been at where pay is still good. Yep. You know, bonuses are still fantastic. Yep. Benefits are great, too. They come with the perks of a larger organization, but they tend to have a little bit more stability. Yeah, That's what you should be really focusing on in any development or any tech career right now in general is like, don't lose your focus because larger organizations have media attention. Um, and that's all you see is like, oh, the layoffs, the layoffs, the layoffs. But there's a lot of smaller organizations, mid-sized organizations who are actively and currently hiring like yeah. Scratch, you know? Yeah. And we have bonuses and we have benefits and we have all those things. We may not be paying you 200% over market value. Um, however, the stability is, is there. And yeah. I definitely want to learn more about Scratch, but I'm also curious. So you, you're going through this, this phase of your consultant for a while, you're a developer touching all of these industries. At what point did you get the opportunity to move over to the management side? Or was there even a step before that? So as I was a developer, so I've always been a multitasker. So I've always had, even when I had a permanent full-time role, I've always had something going on on the side, whether it be freelance work or teaching part-time, or I started my own nonprofit. I started my nonprofit and being one of very, very few um, minority nonprofit heads, should I yeah. say, um, with programs geared towards K-12 and getting kids into programming. I was able to get my program when I started my nonprofit, I was able to get the programs that we were offering adopted by a lot of school districts. Yeah. And so as I had my full-time permanent position, I had this nonprofit going that was doing fantastic. It's still alive and well, yeah. we are just not as busy and on site um, like we used to be, but I gained a lot of my professional management experience there and running okay. that organization for several years on the side to be honest with you, it wasn't really until the last three years where I really wanted to step out of just development okay. and seek a management career within an organization. I was just comfortable with managing and running my own show. Yeah. And so I had 12 employees already at the yeah. nonprofit. And so I got a majority of my experience there. And I would say that anyone who's looking at getting into management, especially in the tech space, if you have the ability to create your own business or own group, Facebook group, whatever, yeah. whatever would give you that experience with, you know, managing people, yeah. managing uh, technology, gaining soft skills as you go along, try that. Yeah. But it wasn't until about three years where I was like, you know what, I'll see how I do yeah. in a, uh, a corporate setting as a manager. I took a consulting position as a manager for uh, another tech company. Okay. And I kind of liked it. It was yeah. nice because I was able to help people get jobs and I was able to see what it was like, but I was comfortable with just being a developer, you know? Yeah. And so I stayed there for about a year and then I went back into being a developer at another company, okay, Fortune 5 company. And I was there for four years. And then I was like, you know what? I, I can't do anything here. I can't. Yes, I'm making a ton of money. The bonuses are fantastic. You know, six to eight weeks of vacation every year is great. 
making great friends and everything, but I cannot grow, hmm. you know, I can't grow here and I can't, yeah. I can't offer assistance or help to my peers, people yeah. who look like me, uh, folks who come from un unconventional backgrounds. So I, it was imperative that, you know, I reminded myself like, Hey, you got a bachelor's degree in management. Maybe you should be a manager. So yeah. <laughs> I applied at scratch and okay. the interview process was extremely extensive and it was very intimidating, but I got the, I got the job and so far. so good. <laughs> okay. If you want to gloss over it like that, I'll definitely give you that <laughs> option. I would love to hear more about it. If you think it may better inform the audience, not just about, you know, scratch and MIT, but sure. a similar situation. Yeah. For folks who don't know what Scratch is, so Scratch is a block-based programming language. We've, we're about 15 years old. We derived out of MIT. The founders and the creators of the Scratch programming language, Mitch Resnick is the founder. He created it. Okay. Um, he's still on our board. We're a nonprofit. We operate like a tech startup. So we're basically a software engineering company. That's basically what we are. Okay. We are the number one coding platform for K through 12 right now. I think we have almost 100 million users. We have our Scratch community. It's almost like a, almost like a Facebook, like a social network mm. nice. where kids get together and they program together and they code together. Um, we're in almost every U.S. middle school and elementary school. Uh, we have after school programs. We don't put them on. It's usually like boys and girls clubs or okay. other organizations use our platform to teach coding in the after school program. So we we are most popular in K through 12. Okay. But there has been some Reddit groups that I've been kind of following with grown-ups who are yeah. creating all kinds of stuff, video games with this. Yeah, we're we're based out of Boston and we are about 65 people, I believe. We're a small, small startup growing. Management there, my interview process was, like I said, it was long. It was three days. It was meeting with almost 15 people. Mm. It was a lot, but I was prepped and I was prepared. And yeah, yeah here I am. Did I miss anything? No, I think you covered everything that I was definitely interested in. I have a couple of follow-ups related okay. to Scratch. So I think sure. the, my first exposure to Scratch might have been through, I think, David Milan's Harvard CS50. I think that's the name okay. of the course. Yep. And so I'm curious, do you see Scratch as a viable, maybe first step in building that tech foundation to say the 20, 30, 40, even 50 year olds out there or older that think they might want to get into coding? Yes, I okay. do. I think Scratch is a, fa a fantastic uh, segue into the uh, programming career. It's a little unconventional. You know, it's like literally dragging blocks to yeah. make your application or whatever it is that you're building behave. But you have to think like they they started building this 15 years ago. And if you look at where we're going in technology, we're headed towards a uh, a low code, no code yep. development, you know, way right. to develop and, and program. So right yep. now we're writing, yeah, we're writing algorithms and code in various languages, but that's not our future. Our future eventually is going to be a more simpler way to build applications. And it will not necessarily be you typing out a bunch of prompts into, yeah. you know, code is going to be a drag and drop. It's going to be simplified, just like yeah. AI is taking over and simplifying creating images for us. And so, yeah, it is a fantastic segue to the career. Okay. I like that. And, and jumping back, maybe not jumping back, but asking you about your current engineering manager position from a different facet, going back to the interviews, have you held any interviews lately? Because I'm definitely 
curious in your Are you looking for a job, James? Just tell me, okay? No, to all the LinkedIn people out there listening, I'm extremely happy in my job. Okay. I'm trying to think for the audience and I'm, I'm trying to think, okay, we've got an engineering manager here from MIT Scratch. Sure. I want to know what is she looking for? Someone coming in to interview for a a developer's position or preferably, you know, an early career junior dev, something like that. So for me on any of my teams, I'm always looking for individuals who are um, driven. Okay. You can come into our team and not know everything. I stress this with my team as well. It's like, it's okay not to know every single thing, you know, but like, what can I do to help you? Can I pair you up with someone? Yeah. Um, so I'm looking for individuals who are driven who know that this is a career that they want to be in okay. um, because sometimes folks get out of school or they get out of boot camp and they're still, they're still kind of trying to figure it out. Do I really want to be a programmer? It is kind of hard. So I'm looking for individuals who know that that's where they want to be, yeah. who are self-driven, who are always looking to learn because, you know, being a programmer and um, being in software in general I mean, being in tech in general, let me just even go up a step, requires you to consistently learn. Yep. And so we're looking for people who are willing to consistently learn. And we're actually at Scratch, we're trying to create a um, pathway for junior devs at one point. This is something that we are literally writing out and working working mm -hmm. on right now to try and bring folks who are just graduating from boot camps, like come that. in and get a paid externship with us. Okay. But yeah, I would say individuals who can foresee or at least envision the future of programming um, and come with ideas because Scratch is all about innovation. Even if we are not building the innovation, we want to make it accessible for individuals who may want to build onto our platform sure. to add to where we're going. So yeah, yeah. hopefully that uh, helps out a little bit. Yeah, no, lifelong learners. And no, I think that that gives great perspective. And from your perspective, if say you're interviewing a junior dev with a non-traditional background without that CS degree, for you mm -hmm. personally, does that matter if they can demonstrate everything else that you're looking for? We don't really care. Like if you have a degree, fine, you know, like yeah. we can, you do the work. We happen to be one of those um, software companies that aren't uh, heavily algorithm driven. Okay. You know, you have places like Google and Amazon, they are creating tooling to help other developers develop, right? So yeah. they are very algorithm and very programming heavy yep. where, you know, the knowledge of foundational programming is critical in those companies. Yep. We're not one of those type of companies. It's fantastic okay. if you do have an extensive understanding of algorithmic development and programming, that's great, but it's not heavily required at scratch. However, if you come from a computer science background and you have a bachelor's degree, that is fantastic. You know, okay. that is great. Um, but to be honest with you, we don't really care. Like yeah. we don't care if you come with the experience and you can show that you did it. Of course, like when it comes to like actually getting your resume to us, you know, our recruiters are looking for people with experience, of course, Sure. your experience and your work, you know, yep. your GitHub profile and yeah. things that we can see to okay. gauge what type of person you are is more important than if you graduated from, somewhere. We don't, okay. we don't care too much. About and that, them. that kind of leads into what I was going to ask you really quickly before we move on from this is mm -hmm. to those out there that are interested in Scratch's mission, is there anything they can do other than 
building that portfolio of projects, I guess, curating that LinkedIn profile, anything they can do to stand out just to actually make that connection with either the recruiter or the hiring manager at Scratch? Yeah. I mean, with any company, I always suggest like reaching out to find who in the organization you can reach out or, um, you know, network with or ask questions about whatever roles or position that you might be interested in. But in terms of like our mission and uh, anyone who's interested, if the mission of Scratch, which is basically to bring uh, computer programming and uh, creative learning to the masses, if that interests you, apply. Yeah. Of course, keep in mind that like realistically, like we look for people who, who can do the work. And so if you know you're not prepared, then don't apply. Well, or maybe look towards our internships, our (laughs) externships, or some of the pathway programs that we're trying to put together now. Yeah. That helps out too. Okay. But yeah, I wouldn't say don't apply. I would probably just look at other opportunities maybe. Okay. Can you tell me, so what is an externship? I've never heard that used before this conversation Mm -hmm. today. Yeah. Externship is after you graduate. Basically, it's after you've actually gotten your boot camp certificate or after you've gotten your undergraduate cert or uh, undergraduate degree, okay. it's when you've actually walked that line. And now you're like in this six, six month to a year wait period of trying to find a job. You can seek for externships, which is okay. companies who are willing to hire you kind of on a consulting, like a one year basis to okay. s- try you out and fill you out. Usually it lands you a full-time permanent role there. Okay, Externships are a great opportunity for programmers who are just okay. graduating. Yeah. So I'd never heard of those, but maybe just a different version of an apprenticeship, which I'm a big proponent Basically, of. Basically, yeah. All right. Do you want to briefly touch on, do you have a typical day in the life of at your current role as an engineering manager? Yeah. So, well, I mean, I'm technically a director. So the, the work that I do, I, I'm technically a director. I'm the head of our backend engineering. Um, my okay. job title is still engineering manager. We're working on that. But as far as like what I do, I'm in a, meet, a ton of meetings all day. Okay. I'm in a lot of planning meetings. I'm in a lot of budgeting meetings. I'm uh, negotiating with vendors on tooling for our teams. Right now, we are in the process of scaling. We went from 40 million users to 100 million users in two years. Mm-hmm. And so we are in the process of reevaluating our backend system, which sure. is our servers and the tooling that, that helps us monitor our service systems, yep. trying to anticipate what it's going to be like getting another 20 million in a year or so or more yeah i'm in a lot of a lot of those meetings i tend to find myself in the solutions architect sort of um position often kind of leading our team to uh, might be looking at a pull request if someone submits some code sure every now and then i'll stick my head in there planning lots of planning a lot of travel too i travel back and forth to boston to our headquarters a lot um getting ready to do that again the project management, I do a ton of project management, looking at what our scope of work is as opposed to what's on our roadmap and we need to achieve. Uh, we got all this new stuff and technology coming up with AI and all this new stuff. So planning and trying to anticipate, you know, our future is kind of my day to day. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. But I do miss programming though. I miss yeah. coding. Well, you're jumping into the PRs just so you can add some comments and maybe suggest some inline changes. So yep. yeah. I'm a stickler too. I'm I'm one of those programmers. I'm a stickler. I'm like, get rid of that comment or put a comment here or something. So yeah. As the director, you are definitely allowed to do that, Lashana. <laughs> so I don't think anybody's going to argue with you. Uh-huh. I wanted to ask you, so I'd like to put you on the hot seat to understand your psychology a little better. But before we do that, maybe we talk about 
the communities that you're both building and are a part of because I know I found you as part of your Breaking Into Tech Facebook group. I'm so glad that I did. Do you want to speak to that and maybe the other groups that you're involved with? Yeah, the group that you're part of, Breaking Into Tech, that group was a result of a book that me and a friend of mine wrote. A friend of mine, Stephanie Heath, who is the former head of recruiting at Amazon okay. and Sony, we wrote a book called Transitioning to Tech. And I realized like the response from the basically just an ebook, a PDF um, that we released in 2020. And I realized that the response that I was getting is people wanted to consult with me and I didn't have time to consult. Hmm. So I'm like, I'll create a Facebook group where you guys can consult with each other. Yeah. Like, I don't have to stare over you. And, yeah. you know, like you guys can consult with each other and ask other knowledgeable people who like you, James, who have the knowledge ask questions and network with each other. Yeah. And you can still drop in. Yeah. That's where that came from. Okay. You know, I've created several communities. My first community was like on Lycos. Wait, I don't know how old you are, but I'm old. Okay. Yeah. I'm 36. I don't, I don't hide that. I haven't heard of that group though. So <laughs> Lycos was like a, it was like a Yahoo or MSN oh. or Google derivative. Okay. Yeah. Geo cities was the Facebook groups of the web back early 2000s. I've heard of GeoCities. Yeah, I think they ended up selling to Yahoo. So now they're Yahoo. Okay. And I think they diminished eventually. But I had a huge group with 100,000 members, mm. a cultural group for individuals who like reggae music, believe it or not. Okay. So we had like 120,000 people in these groups. So I've been building communities for years, Yeah, you know, alongside my journey. And it was mainly because I've always kind of been a introvertish sort of person. I sure. had a tough time meeting people. And so I would meet people online and it's yeah. like, you know what, let's all come together. I want you to meet my friend too. Yeah. And so, so that's where that came about. But the breaking in the tech group and for those who are listening, um, please join. It is geared towards individuals who are coming into the field, uh, who are, who have an interest in the technology field. And a lot of people were telling me after we released our book, they were saying like, I don't, I don't know anyone who's a, a programmer. I don't know anyone who's a computer repair specialist, but I'm interested. Yeah. And so that was the purpose of that group. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like that because even so as an apprentice back in engineer at LinkedIn, I love that I'm able to help a bit. I definitely don't have it all figured out, but just last week, you know, someone asked about debugging something they were working on and I had pointed them to Chrome's debugger. And that person didn't know that that existed. So it, it feels so good to be able to to give back and to contribute awesome. like that. So I'm so glad that you created that space for that to happen. Yep, that's awesome. Yeah. That's a great example. I have another group too. So I have several Facebook groups, but the other one, I have another one that is geared towards um, minorities, blacks and tech. Okay. I started that one in 2013. We're a little funny about who we let in. We're we only let folks who are professionals, tech professionals, programmers, any sort of engineers, and it's geared towards support because there's not a whole lot of a lot of black people in, sure. in the field in general. So when we when we do find each other, it's kind of nice to just like, yeah. hey, how's it going on your job? Are you yeah. having this issue? Oh, cool. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. So yeah, we I have that group as well. And that's very active. We do tech talks, we do trainings, like we had a, a crypto training. And I'm hoping to get breaking the tech on that pattern of, uh, of support for the members if I can. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be amazing. And I'd love to add as many of these groups as you would like to the show notes, just so other people can find all of your groups. Awesome. Yeah, please, please do. All right. You ready for the hot seat? I know you have a hard stop in 10 minutes, so we're going to make the most of it. Hey, go for it. All right. 
this is not a question I had for you, Lashana, but I see it behind you. Is that your board ape behind you? Oh yes, but I sold my board ape. You sold your board ape, but you still have the still have the photo behind you. That was just a keepsake, but yeah, no, I I got in early and then I I, I got in and out early and good for you. Which I'm happy because when NFTs became a, a big thing, like I hopped on those. I hopped on. I actually yeah. created my own NFT as well. Nice. What uh, on Ethereum, Solana, what? Oh, we were on Ethereum, and okay. we. I was trying to build my own DAO mm -hmm. that kind of came and went. Yeah. And then I aborted ship when I when things started getting a little rocky. But yeah. Okay. Do you have a quick 20, 30 second opinion of Bitcoin? I Bitcoin is dead. <laughs> Bitcoin is dead. That's your opinion. Yeah, Bitcoin is dead. Okay. I'm not going to hijack the conversation. Do you have any any thoughts before we move on to to back that claim up? I mean, I look, I have friends who are Bitcoin millionaires who, you know, have made millions of dollars in Bitcoin. And when they were trying to get me to come on when it was $8, you know, and I'm like an idiot, the conspiracy theorist that I am, yeah. I was like, heck no. So I think it served its purpose. You know, I think it opened up a lot of doors for crypto and decentralized web and i think like i said i think it was it's a great foundation i just think that it will never be what it used to be okay. with all the other coins and all the all these other new technologies coming up based off of what we learned from bitcoin i think it served its purpose and i'm not okay. sure if it'll ever get back to where it was time will tell we'll have to do another one of these uh, a couple years from now and see how prescient that was all right now for the for the questions i had planned we'll try to run through them real quick what does your typical morning routine look like Morning routine. Um, so I work East Coast. I'm in San Francisco. So I work East Coast hours. I'm up at 6 a.m. every morning. Actually, I'm up at 5 a.m. Normal shower. Uh, I got to get my coffee in. And then my first meeting starts at about 6 a.m. Okay. Because that's 9 uh, Eastern Standard. And so it's usually meetings, like immediate meetings. It might be something that I need to follow up with. We tend to have some security related things that come up, which require me to jump into pairing sessions, looking at logs. Uh, majority of my morning is catching up from what happened last night. Okay. Was there an intrusion? Was there not an intrusion? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Fair. <laughs> and then, and then uh, preparing for the rest of the day. Nice. If you woke up tomorrow with unlimited money, what do you think you would do every day? More so with your time than the money itself. Yeah. What would I do with my time? I would probably be doing something with kids somehow, some way. I would, I would probably emphasize on giving kids knowledge in technology early, whether that be in the program or me helping support someone else's program. That would be my biggest thing if I can give my time and money to okay. um, helping kids learn it yeah. early. I think that will help us long term. I love that. I mean, I think you're already doing that to an extent through Scratch, but yeah, no, I love that. That's very altruistic of you. Mm -hmm. uh, what books or podcasts have had the biggest impact on you? Oh, man. You know, I love comic books. <laughs> In the beginning, like the podcast revolution came and went with me. I think it's my time. It's like I had a really tough time managing my time for a while. And I would say I don't have a favorite, but I have been tuning into a lot of Twitter spaces, which is okay. sort of like a podcast. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in a, I'm in a whole bunch of Bitcoin and uh, crypto. I'm in investment Twitter spaces. I was just on Clubhouse having a really, really good conversation with a bunch of AI developers from OpenAI last night. 
Okay, nice. So yeah, those are technically my podcasts in this day and age is like Clubhouse and Twitter Spaces is my okay. thing. <laughs> Any books earlier, technical or otherwise? What was it? The Dummies book back in the day? That was my big thing is like... Like programming for dummies or what? Yeah, C Sharp for dummies and okay. .NET for dummies. And then, you know, there's like cracking the code and system design. I have a ton of system design um, uh, books that I still every now and then will open up and flip through. Is there one that sticks out in your mind? Above all others, just in case anyone listening is interested. Off the top of my head, I don't know. Okay, that's okay. I have a whole bunch. I got a whole bunch, though. I have a ton of technical um, books, but ones that really, really impressed me. I don't know if I want to give any author any credit right now. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. We can move on. Tell me about the top one or two people in your life that impacted your life the most. My son was very impactful. He really helped me change my scope. He helped me shape the direction that I'm at now. I have always been able to do a lot of things at once. And then when I had him, I was able to kind of slow it down a little bit and like refocus. And yeah. I think that if he wasn't there, I'd probably be in another country right now, mm. probably doing tech, you know? Yeah. Yeah. He's a total nerd. And and I we geek out together. You yeah, know, he likes great. everything that I like. He's like an anime fanatic. So I'm just trying to appreciate these times right now with him before he gets a girlfriend. He's got one more year of high school, okay. you know, and then leave me alone. But um, yeah. I would say my son. Okay. And then I, I have a couple of mentors too, who have been very, very impactful with me yeah. in my career in helping me make decisions on when to leave an organization, yeah. you know, what to apply for and things like that. So, yeah. Okay. If you could send a single message back to your former self during your transition into tech, what would that be? My former self during my transition into tech, go for the computer science degree. I wish I could. Yeah, I would probably say, you know what? Don't be scared of those math classes. Just do it okay. and, you know, focus. Okay. I would probably say go for that degree. Yeah. What's next for you? And is there anything else that you wanted to talk about? Uh, what's next for me? I'm speaking at a, a conference called Tech Intersections. It's a women's conference at Mills College this year. And so I'll be talking on a leadership panel about the ins and outs, the pros and cons of being in leadership and technology. Okay. I have my ebook called Transitioning to Tech, which is a version two that I just completed. It should be available this coming Wednesday on the 18th. All right. Available we'll on Amazon and also on my website, transitioningtotech.com. It's just an ebook. It's very high level. It doesn't go into career coaching or any of that stuff that the other people are better at than I am. Sure. It's very, very high level. And it talks about the industry, about things to prep for, to get in. And yeah, I would say those are probably the most important things. I hope to do a little bit more travel, um, not necessarily always business, but some personal travel uh, vacationing this year. Okay. If people want to go find out more about you, is there anywhere they should go in particular? Yeah. Follow me on Instagram at L.E. Nichols Tech. And on Twitter, I'm L.E. Nichols Dev. I'll throw those in the show notes. I know we're at time, Lashana, and I want to be respectful of yours. I just want to thank you so much for coming on and taking the time Absolutely. to tell your story of breaking into tech. I know I learned a lot about you, and I think your story is inspirational, and I'm so glad that I got to share it. Absolutely. James, looking forward to talking to you again, too, and thank you for the invite. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Exponential Growth Podcast. If you enjoy this conversation, be sure to follow the show on whatever podcast application you use. Just search for Exponential Growth, How to Break into Tech. If you got value from today's show, consider leaving a five-star review. And most importantly, 
If you know someone that might be interested in breaking into tech, tell them about the show.